block of, I don't know, a month and a half or so, the Lord's been really dealing with me personally about some things. And, um, and as I bounced it off of Dick, and we've kind of talked and prayed, and then he just kind of said, you know, this is, a, this is like a bigger than you, a bigger than us thing. And so I wanted to just do that here. So this will be our one time really in the next block of weeks where we actually do a preached Sunday. You know, we kind of are weaving different things in and out. But um, so we'll be back to this for today. And I wanted to do it on the front end so we have enough to deal with the tough time to deal with the content and then have time to talk and pray. Okay? All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for sweet little Declan calming down and hearing our prayers. God, thank you that you're a father, that we're your children. And Lord, um, I ask you now that you would speak to each one of us uh, in exactly the way you want to, Lord. You just take the sound of voice and translate it into each ear and each heart, Lord, what it is you want to say today, God. And um, we submit our hearts to you, Lord. We cry out to you for wisdom and knowledge and understanding and discernment. We cry out to you for sensitive, obedient hearts, God. Father, come and um, have your way in our lives. And, um, Father, I pray that, that you would say what you want to say, bring out what you want to bring out through the words I have to offer and the thoughts and then the discussion and the prayer, God, um, just do what you want to do here today. And I pray, Father, that actually from my heart that it's bigger than here, that it goes beyond these walls. Um, I think you're speaking something really big, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Okay, so I've been seeking God now for a couple of months, really, and I've been asking him um, how we, as his peculiar people, the people for his own possession, right, can get our bearings in this disorienting, um, chaotic season in America. And I believe that God's been saying some things to me that have been really helpful, things that have been actually corrective, um, some things that have been very sobering for me, but I think they're not just for me. I do believe it's for the broader body of Christ. So I'm going to start from the perspective that um, the church on earth is the body that has the potential to reveal the full excellencies of God. And we've gone over this many times. You know, First um, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, we know that, right? So we're going to take it from that perspective. And in the ultimate sense, that really means that everything, everything that happens on the earth is about the church. Um, from God's perspective, life here is about forming the church. It's about raising up the church. It's about training the church. It's about expanding the church to cover the earth with his glory. So everything here um, is, is about the church. That's us. So let's zoom out, as Dick's been saying. Let's zoom out from all that's going on in America right now. Get into that high place, that perspective, and let's start looking from that vantage point, okay? So the church is not yet the pure and spotless bride that Jesus Christ is coming back for. We're not yet there. Um, the path of the righteous, it says in Proverbs, um, the path of the righteous, the church, right, the righteous, is like the morning sun, shining progressively ever brighter, ever brighter, ever brighter, until the fullness 
of the day. So the way the church shows forth Christ is through an ever-increasing growth process. Don't stall out. Ever-increasing growth process. People should be able to look at the church today, us as the church today, and see more of Christ revealed than they could have 100 years ago. Does that make sense? God puts his church to the test all along the growth process. All through the scriptures, we can see that principle, right? He started with Adam and Eve. He tested Adam and Eve in the garden. He tested the Israelites as they were going through the wilderness, right? Second Chronicles, he tests Hezekiah. Says, you know, I'm going to test Hezekiah to see all that's in his heart. Psalm 105, it tells us about Joseph. It says, the word of the Lord tested Joseph, right? Every trying situation, every troublesome season, God tests his people to see what's in their hearts. For example, when God was testing Joseph's heart, right, to reveal any, he was just testing his heart to reveal Anything in it that would keep him from going to the next level? Was there any vengefulness? And he had a right in his circumstances to have all this garbage in his heart. Was there any vengefulness? Was there any bitterness? Was there any backbiting? Was there any power grabbing? Self-aggrandizing? Hatred? Conniving? Plotting? Planning? You know? Um, But God um, was testing him to see, was he conformed to the ways of the world? Or was he going to obey God's ways even if it meant his own downfall? Right? Was he going to be drawn into the deep ways of God or was he going to hang back and be drawn into the shallow ways of the world and the flesh? In the same way God tests the hearts of individuals to reveal all that's in them He regularly tests the heart of the church through worldly circumstances and events to see what's in her heart. Is the heart of the church purely his heart, one and the same as his heart? Or has she cast aside his heart and now lives out of a different identity? Is she full of the world or is she full of the spirit? the spirit of Christ? Is she faithful in the little things so that he can make her faithful in the greater works, right, the greater things? Where is she on the continuum of progressively moving to be the pure and spotless bride for Christ's coming? So as Joseph passed the test of God in the depths of his being, not in superficial actions, but in the core of his heart, could God could then increase Joseph's authority. And he did it so um, that he had rule and authority, and so it is with the church. As the church, we need to understand what's going on around us so that we can pass the tests of showing the Lord that in these circumstances, in our time, in the chaos that's going on around us, we are pure, godly, kingdom-hearted, and we obey every word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
The church needs to reveal a heart that is fully persuaded that the weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not carnal, for the bringing down of strongholds, for whatever needs to be shifted. Okay? In America, um, let me just check here where I'm going. All right. So everything about, let me say this first, everything about the kingdom of God, our kingdom that we are to establish on earth works differently from the world, right? Um, In America, are Christians to be involved in politics, human government, um, social issues? Absolutely we are. But how we are involved, how we're engaged is what's critical to the heart of God. Because how we're engaged is what represents him, his kingdom, his life, his face to everybody around, to all the people watching. At the beginning of this year, I shared um, a word that I felt God was giving. And I look at it now and I go, oh, that's a good word. <laughs> because um, I, I said, you know, I believe that God was saying that we were going to be running into times that would be chaotic, um, times that were disorienting. Times that where we would say, what is happening? This is like so crazy, right? And how are we supposed to navigate through these times? And I said, I felt God was saying, we're going to go into these times, but here's my instructions. Be a people of the word. Read the word. What does the word say? Just do what the word says and you'll be okay. So here's what I believe that God is highlighting from his word for us to follow Um, in this season. And there are multiple threads to this, so I'm just going to kind of help us connect the dots as I work through them. But the first dot is this um, point that God is testing the church through the times we are in to see if her heart is pure love. Okay, So let's explore that for a minute. 1 John 4.8 says this, Whoever does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. God is agape, divine, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love in its purest form. That's our God. We cannot even comprehend with our finite minds what love capital L, really is, what God really is. Everything we try to do in our humanity to emulate love just cheapens it and distorts love. God, love, is like a prism that contains all the facets of love. So when light, capital L, is released through love, capital L, you see It's like a prism, spreads out the colors, right? You see compassion. You see pure goodness. You see forgiveness. You see respect. You see honor, life-giving word, peace, humility, power, joy in truth, patience with whatever's wrong. You see confidence that love will prevail. Do we understand love without putting all sorts of human interpretations on it, even as the church? Rhetorical question. Love 
leaves the 99 to rescue the one. Love actually leaves the 99 found vulnerable to find the lost one. Here's a question. Could it be that God cares about the salvation of a soul so much that he would even put a nation at risk to save one person? Hmm. Okay, think about that as we go along. Dot number two, faith works by love. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And faith works through love. We know that out of Hebrews 11, Galatians 5. Faith works by love. Faith is activated. Faith is energized. Faith is expressed through love. Faith works by love. So in the Bay Area, there is bold, consistent, passionate prayer being offered up for God to come in power and release signs and wonders and miracles and bring forth an amazing awakening in the Bay Area for the saving of lost souls. There are regular meetings now every month, we've mentioned them to you guys, that are being held in the Bay Area called Night of Miracles. There's this new medical school of healing now established in the, right in the heart of Silicon Valley, training up Christians to be the healing practitioners under the, using the giftings of God to show forth the great works of Christ in the Bay Area. But we are not seeing the momentum grow from this the momentum of the increasing of the works of Christ to any degree. What we are seeing is magnificent healings happening through a little lady about this big named Dr. Susan Richards. She's seen third-degree burn patients in the ICU wards, right, where within a day the the burned, charred skin falls off and new skin is underneath until within three days they walk out healed. Never, never could happen in the natural. She has seen countless quadriplegics healed, climbing mountains. She has seen cancer healed. She has seen every sort of disease healed. She has seen intense cerebral palsy, like I watched her just the other night. You know, this little boy, Jeffrey, you know, just so mangled with cerebral palsy for the first time. He could, he could like, go like this, you know, if he got out of his wheelchair. Someone helped him out of his wheelchair, and he stood like this and walked straight. Now, he had to get back in his wheelchair, but he has never stood straight in his life, you know? I mean, she has seen this, okay? She has seen this. Let me draw some dots here and connect them, <laughs> Because I believe the key is in her message to her trainees. She says, God is love. He does everything by love. Love is the critical factor in healing. Love is the foundation for every healing miracle. This woman's heart is Christ's love as she ministers. And she is filled with great childlike faith. She just looks at a mangled Jeffrey and goes, well, anything's possible. It's just lovely. Stand up. You know? 
Listen, we are all crying out for these greater works. We're all crying out for these greater works. But the fact is, greater works by, work by greater faith. And great faith comes because we have great love. And you can't change God's ways. No matter how much we beat the drum for what we want. Luke 6.32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? So that's no definition of great love, loving, lovely people. Luke 6.27 says, But to you who are listening, I, Jesus, say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What I believe God has been showing me is that we can cry out forever for a mass outpouring of healings and miracles, but until God sees pure love, when he shines his light through the heart of his church, it's not going to happen because faith works by love. Weak love means weak faith means weak works. As we all cry out for these greater works, I believe God is assessing what is in the heart of the church. If he finds great love, he will release great faith that will result in great works. Dot three. God expects us to steward for increase the measure of love and faith he gives us because that is the path for the greater expression of his excellencies on earth, the greater works. God gives each believer a measure of faith when Christ, who is love, is planted in our hearts. We get the seed of Christ. He says in Romans 12, we get a measure of faith. And then he teaches us through the parable of the talents that his heart is all about whatever I give you is so good, go for the increase. Don't bury it in the ground. Don't say the little bit I have is enough. You go for increase. You want my pleasure? Work it. Work it for all it's worth, right? We're in a time in our country where church is being aggressively baited by Satan. I know, please, please hear this. The church is being aggressively baited by Satan. We have leaders. We have judges. We have cabinet heads of executive departments in our country that are transforming the United States in ways that we know are against the heart of God. Right is being called wrong. Wrong is being forced upon people um, until they're so intimidated that they're demanded to be, to be acknowledging and saying, all right, all right, your wrong is right, right? Okay, we're seeing people advocate the buying and selling of body parts, baby body parts in the abortion industry. And the president, our president, is applauding it. He's protecting it. We're seeing the White House in rainbow colors. We're seeing the dismantling of religious freedoms. We could go on and on and on. We could have a political meeting here. This is not a political meeting. This is the church. <laughs> There's so many people out there 
to consider as our enemies. So many people out there to consider as our enemies. It's a wonderful test for the church. It's a wonderful test for the church. It's the making of the church. So God knows this is a wonderful opportunity to pass the test of love. He's just so pulling for us. The church should be capable of love in this season more than any other time on the face of the earth. I don't know about Nero. I don't know about what went on with Hitler. I don't know what went on with Pol Pot. You know, but this is our season. And it is a progressive growth, a progressive expression of Christ on the face of the earth. And in our season, there should be a, the greatest revelation of who Christ is and the manifestation of God's excellencies than there has ever been on the face of the earth, ever. And tomorrow's a new day. It should increase tomorrow. Right? Now, dot number three. God put some people, now this is where it's going to get a little hairy, and you may not agree with me, so I'm just planting a seed. <laughs> God puts some people, he puts some people in highly visible positions who are in particular need of the power of love and intercession from the church to save them. 1 Timothy 2.4 says this, First, of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, ungodly, deceived leaders do not lead a country into peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified lives. So there's a real disjoint in here, unless, listen up. So what Paul is saying here, first, and that word first literally means above every other priority in life, First, primary, above any other um, priority, first of all, God intends those he elevates to leadership, yes, he elevates to leadership, to be saved through the supplications, prayers, and intercessions of the church. He just expects they will be saved and lead well because he assumes his church will be obedient and get the job done. Look at Romans 3. 1 through 3, or 13, excuse me, 1 through 3. Um, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but, but just mark, mark it in your mind if you want to go back and connect your dots. <laughs> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted, means elevated, by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, God, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. So God doesn't make 
bad leaders. What, that doesn't describe what, what Paul just said there. It doesn't describe despots. It doesn't describe bad leaders. God is assuming leaders will be his servants doing good, judging for righteousness. He assumes they will be saved. God expects that to be the case because he trusts his church to do their job. So the church, first and foremost, without ceasing, or excuse me, one more verse I wanted to add in here before I say that. Add to this then what I just said. The the verse in um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, pray without ceasing. All right? Start coupling this together. So the church, first and foremost, without ceasing, is to offer the prayer, the supplication, and the intercession for all the people in high positions in the country and accomplish their salvation. Period. Now, all-consuming love is what supernaturally empowers and energizes the ability to pray unceasingly for, with intercession for leaders that we may consider our enemies. If we don't love, we will not have the power to pray unceasingly. It's passion, it's love that is the passion that keeps you praying unceasingly for the son who's walked astray, you know, for the child who might have encephalitis, for the whatever, right? I mean, do you lack any, you know, you could stay on your face forever, right? But God is saying with his love, With his love, he will energize. If we have his love, he will energize us to literally be able to obey and pray unceasingly those prayers of intercession and petition for these leaders in high places. If we don't have love, our prayers are like a clanging gong to us. And who wants to listen to it? So get up off your knees. Done. And they're a clanging gong to God, right? So actually, prayer that matches the heart of God works by love. Love always has eternal life on his mind. Eternal life is the sole passion and motivation of love. For God, everything is about holy love that forsakes all to rescue the lost. Love sees right through the political turmoil, the chaos of the day, to the main issue, salvation of those doomed to eternal damnation. Is the pure love of God and unceasing intercession the heart of the church? Or would we more accurately say, The unceasing criticism characterizes us. I'm going to share a wild thought with you, Um, but I've sat with this for quite a while, and I've come to believe it, and I think that God is on it, and you see what you sense, okay? 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, I've been reading some quotes by older saints for a while now, and I keep coming across this theme where they say, 
Nobody gets saved unless somebody prays. And I would read it and I'd go, nobody? <laughs> Maybe not. No, and now I believe what they're saying. But you see if you do too. So nobody gets saved. Nobody comes to salvation. Souls are not saved except somebody prays. Um, the Bible says the lost are children of the devil. John 8.44 The lost are under the authority of Satan. Acts 26.18 They are, the lost are a strong man's house. Mark 3.27 They are prisoners of war, not free. Isaiah 14.17 And they are blinded to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4. 3 and 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Blinded. Can't see if you're blind. He's blinded them specifically so they cannot see the light of Christ. They are literally captives. They are literally blinded. And they literally must be set free. That's the job of the church. Now, do any of you know the, um, the name Lewis Sperry Chafer? I didn't until I came across this. You probably know him. Louis <laughs> huh? Louis he, no, Chafer. Chafer, C-H-A-F-E-R. Um, so he was a, an American theologian, and he actually founded Dallas Theological Seminary. And he wrote this quote. He said, The blinding of the veiling of the mind, mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4, three and four, causes a universal incapacity to comprehend the way of salvation and is imposed upon unregenerate man by the arch enemy of God in his attempt to hinder the purpose of God in, redemp in redemption. It is a condition of mind against which man can have no power. That's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> So Jesus says, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he may plunder his house? Jesus said to his disciples, behold, I have given to you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and I have given to you all authority over the power of the enemy. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says this, God through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if supplication, prayer, intercession is to be raised up on behalf of kings and all who are in high places, it is because... The church has been given the power of prayer to bind the strong man and break the captives out. 
Sounds like Jesus. Set the prisoners free. Get the captives out, right? Plunder his goods. Take the lost souls and run. Set the kings and leaders free for salvation. Some people walk right into the arms of Jesus, right? And it seems like there's so little resistance, they just kind of go, oh, Jesus, I love you, right? I mean, you just know there's nothing warring against their soul, right? It's beautiful. They hardly need any prayer because there's just no resistance. It's just so low. Others seem to have all hell completely bent against their coming to the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you consider this thought? That God places people in high positions because they are people who have all hell bent against their salvation and their righteous destiny. And God wants to make them so visible that we can't miss them. We can't forget about them. They're in our face 24-7. So visible so that the church will in massive intercession set them free. Massive, unceasing intercession set them free. Connect the dots, right? It should be no surprise to us at all that God places or allows to be placed in high positions those who are hell-bent. But they are supposed to stay hell-bent for a very short period of time because they're highlighted to the eyes of the praying, supplicating, petitioning church. And, and we're setting them free. And they're going to give us a peaceful life. <laughs> All right. Love covers a multitude of sins. That word covers also means envelop. Can we just think about this? Love has the spiritual power to encase and immobilize sin. I never thought President Obama was going to get elected the first time. I was shocked. When he started running, I thought, this is a no-brainer. He is not getting in. America will not take this man. And I was shocked. A lot of people were shocked. And I never expected that he would get in the second time. Do you know how much God loves President Barack Obama? So much so that he elevated him. Yes, God elevated him into a high place so that every Christian in the nation, obeying the literal instruction to pray without ceasing for kings and leaders, would pray the devil off his back and free his soul for eternal life with his heavenly father leading to righteousness and a righteous leader of our nation. President Obama is a courageous, unintimidated ideologue. Can you imagine the amazing things that would be happening in this country if all that driven determination and charisma were being used for the kingdom of God? Maybe President Obama didn't have to get elected for a second term of office with his policies that have so opposed the biblical truth and values. If he would have been saved through the love and intercession of the church in his first term, right? 
All right, do you love President Obama? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love Hillary Clinton? <laughs> do you love Bernie Sanders? Do you love them? Here's the question. Better say Trump. Just say yes. Yes. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. All right. Do you love them? Hear my. Hear my question. Hear my question now. Do you love them more than you love your temporal nation, as precious as it is? When our hearts are more passionate and worked up about outcomes in the material world than we are for the souls of the lost individuals involved, then we have abandoned our blood-bought identity as the church on earth. I can feel that one. That's good. That's good. When our hearts are more passionate and worked up about the outcomes in the material world then we are for the souls of the people involved. Then we have abandoned our blood-bought identity as the church on earth. We will have failed the test of God and end up wandering around the same mountain again until the next opportunity for testing, abandoning our opportunity for next-level maturity of the church in our generation. God is in favor of responsible citizenship and righteous government, but he is not involved in our frantic, stressed-out humanity while we are prayerless, loveless, and unwilling to sacrifice everything for the saving of one lost soul. Will God put Donald Trump in as president to be before the church night and day so we pray the devil off his soul unceasingly or the same with Hillary Clinton or the same with Bernie Sanders God loves each one of them with an incomprehensible love we mustn't forget that or we are not going to be able to make sense of anything that is going on in our time. He loves those people more than he loves a temporal nation, as beautiful and as precious as that nation is. We are the church. We are not of this world. We need to be about our Father's business. We are here as one people, to live a life of prayer, a life of intercession, a life of unconditional love, like no other kind of love on the earth. We are here to love those who oppose God in such a way that it releases the fire of God onto them for repentance and salvation. You know, the temporal world can usurp our entire lives. So we stop thinking with the mind of Christ. We stop feeling with the heart of the Father. We stop valuing 
first and foremost what God values, and instead we value what's temporal. We fight for what's temporal. We argue for what's temporal. We beat each other up for what's temporal. Ugh! It's good to rally behind the best candidates for an election. Yes. It's good to form focus groups to oppose abortion. Yes. It's good to hold up the world's, the word, the word's perspective on sexual immorality, on integrity, on social justice. It's good. But without the self-sacrificing kind of love where we leave everything on the table, everything on the table, even our nation, and we lay down our lives to save one soul, we will not, as a church, pass the test of God. We need to judge ourselves so that we be not judged. We need to ask ourselves what is in our hearts. I have felt like the rich young ruler in these last weeks and months, conversing with Jesus, and I continually have been sitting with my head in my hands, pondering and walking away troubled. And I hear, love your enemies in my name. See past the temporal debacles they are creating and pray the devil off their minds because I've given the church the power to do that. Stop mocking them. Stop scoffing at them. Stop deriding them. Stop judging them. Love them more than you love this temporal nation. Treat your enemies with respect. The Lord called to my mind when Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin and he was slapped in the face. Remember that? And he said to the high priest Ananias, God slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of a judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering someone to strike me like that, you know? I mean, it sounds like a great tweet, right? To just put your enemy right in their place. Right, you know? Paul responded, brothers, I did not realize that he was a high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about a ruler of your people. Does anyone know, I was thinking here while I was driving here, does anyone know where that is in the Old Testament? Do not speak evil of a ruler of your people? I don't even call it. And I'm thinking, I think he heard it right from Jesus. <laughs> okay, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Let's check our thoughts. Because out of our heart, our mouth will speak about our, the people who are over us, those in high places. Let's check our conversations. Let's check our Facebook posts. Let's check our tweets. It's as if we have rewritten 1 Corinthians 13 to read, Love is sarcastic and biting. It is judgmental, rude, demeaning and insulting. Love is polarizing, divisive, hate-producing, mocking and scoffing. Love is loud, abrasive, insulting, and offensive. Love is dismissive, name-calling, soundbite enthralled, self-applauding, and smug. What is in our hearts?
Because if it's not pure love with love's values and love's goals, we are not going to the next level as the church in our generation. If we are more stressed, upset, anxious, and concerned about temporal outcomes in our nation, then we are consumed with the salvation of each politician, then we will certainly defy spiritual laws we say we obey. We will feel self-righteous while we are failing the test because God will see in our hearts individually and as the church that, um, that, that we do not have God speaking through, love living through our lives. And we're going to go around the same mountain again before we put on Christ. Jesus walked this earth as perfect love, yet he never compromised righteousness. It's possible to hold godly values and yet love your enemies with perfect love that brings them to eternal salvation. Jesus did it. Christ in us can do it. The church with Christ as her head can do it. I now have personal goals for this season of life in America. I am drawing from the Spirit of God to love Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and President Obama with a love so righteous that it births the passion in me to intercede unceasingly for their salvation. I want to love them as God loves them more than I love my country. I want to be reduced to pure love. So great, so great that it heals and it delivers and it saves. I want to grow into oneness with God who is love so that great love will produce great faith that will produce greater works to be done through my life and through the life of the church. As I look around at the craziness that's going on, the chaos, the stress, the agitation, the anger, the plotting for how to bring people down and raise people up, right? I want to find the courage to look into the face of Jesus, look into the eyes of Jesus. I want to lay my life down at his feet with a true brokenness where I can cry out, reduce me to love. I will not be angry. God says clearly the anger that never accomplishes the righteousness of God. He says never will your anger accomplish the righteousness of God. Jesus was angry at sinful behavior, but he never sinned because he fulfilled the commandment to be angry and sin not by... Um, because he set every temporal concern aside to lay down his life and die for his enemies. You want the right to be angry at sin? Die for your enemies. And now you can do it without sinning before God. I will not allow myself to be disgusted with President Obama. I won't even refer to him now as Obama. God told me, he said, he's not Obama, he's President Obama. I said, yes, sir. 
I will not allow myself to be disgusted with President Obama or his advisors or the potential nominees running for the presidency or the leaders of Planned Parenthood. I will look at them with eternal eyes of love and compassion. I will live a life of supplication, of prayer, of intercession on their behalf. And I will focus my heart on, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If the church can walk in pure love, capital L, in this trying season, we will see the glory of God at a progressively higher level than anything that has ever happened on this earth before us. That's my heart. Let's pray. Father, um, I just thank you for how you have been dealing with me, and I am so grateful. It feels so much better to love than to hate. It feels so much better, Lord, to um, put disgust and, Lord, still I see a face and I start, but you're so tender now to just say, what did I say? What did I say? And, oh, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that something of what you have dealt with me about um, first of all, foremost, I pray, God, please give me faithfulness. Give me the grace to be faithful to the shift you are asking of me. I don't want to go back. I don't want to compromise it. I don't want to do anything except, except go forward in holy obedience. You're worthy of that. And, Lord, I ask that something of what was said today um, was intended for each one here and anybody who would listen to this recording, God, that we um, repent, that we bless, that we are reduced to love, that we are reduced to love. Lord, with all my heart, I want President Barack Obama to be in heaven with you. His wife, Michelle, his girls, his cabinet. Lord, I want, God, the, the Supreme Court justices to be in heaven with you. I want, Lord, Donald Trump and his, Melania, God, I want them to be in heaven with you, their children, God. Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders and his wife, God, thank you that you have set them up high so that it, we can't possibly not be held responsible for the instructions you've given us because they're forever before our faces. Lord, some of them will drop away. The ones who don't end up getting the nomination, they're going to drop away. So please, between now and the time that the nominations are clear, God, let us pray for them all so that no one escapes your goodness. No one escapes your salvation, God. There should be millions of prayers incessantly being offered up for their salvation um, to get the devil off their back, which must be huge, or you wouldn't have elevated them so high for us to see. Please, God, um, come and shift our thinking and take us into the deep things of the gospel that we might be your people. In Jesus' mighty name.